I missed you last week. I did. I missed, uh, I missed seeing you guys. I, I, um, but at the same time, I was, I was actually, honestly, super grateful for a day at home with the kids where we couldn't really do anything except for play outside in the snow. Amen. To the glory of God, it was awesome. Uh, we slept and we had a good breakfast, and uh, it was amazing. To the glory of God. And, and one of the best things that, that I did was I, I would, I, I brought this up here today, you know, I, I got my object lesson here this morning, so if you're taking notes, here, here it is. Um, it, it's a cup of coffee. And, and it, was, it was cold outside, just like it's cold outside this morning, and there's nothing better on a cold morning than to make a hot cup of coffee. Amen. And if you'll notice something about my coffee, though, what, what, you'll, what you'll notice is, is that it's, it's served black, straight up. Here it is. This is, this is the way that coffee should be served. Amen. Amen. It was funny, though, because like, I drink a lot of coffee. And so I go to a lot of coffee shops. I, I'll get in this line at Starbucks. And, and I meet a lot of friends who are just like, I love coffee. I love coffee. I love coffee. And then you go to a, a coffee shop with them, and, and you see what they order. And it's, and, and it's like... Not really coffee. You get, you get what I'm saying? Like, like th th they go there and, and it's like coffee and then syrup and milk and sugar and whipped cream. <laughs> Sometimes like sprinkles on top or, or something silly. And, and, and it's funny because like you, you meet friends and, and they're like, I just love coffee. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> You love cream and sugar. That's what you love. That, that's the thing. I love cream and sugar. Th there might be something about the coffee that they like. Like, I, I think there's, there's, there's just like a, a little bit of coffee added with a whole bunch of other stuff that they love. It's because like coffee, maybe it provides this little bitter, this little bitter taste, you know, combination to their, to their cream and sugar. So it, it's, it brings out different senses or different tastes and they, and they enjoy it. And it's like, but coffee straight up, no way. Coffee straight up, no way. Not about that life. And it's interesting because I, I think in, in this country and in this world, the way that people talk about Jesus is very similar People all around this, this area, all around this country, all around this world, they tell you that, you know, they love Jesus. They're, they're great with Jesus. But oftentimes, it's, it's a Jesus of their, of their own creation. Not the, not the straight-up Jesus from the Bible, as presented. They, they like little aspects about Jesus. I was listening a few weeks ago to a um, to a podcast. It was a it was a Babylon Bee podcast, and it was the first time I listened to the Babylon Bee podcast. I typically like the Babylon Bee, but the Babylon Bee podcast was wasn't very good. They were interviewing a guy named Elon Musk, and if you know Elon Musk, he created Tesla and SpaceX and probably a thousand other things that I don't even know about. 
I think he's the richest man in the world right now. And in, in this podcast, at the very end, they, they start talking to him about, about Jesus. And he kind of talks about his affections for Jesus. It's like this buffet style. Like he liked some of Jesus' teaching. He, he liked, you know, Jesus that would tell you to turn the other cheek. Uh, of course, he, he would want people probably to turn the other cheek for him. He's probably not interested in having people, you know, him turning the other cheek when he, you know, when someone's wronged him, right? He liked some of Jesus' humanitarian efforts about helping the poor, things of that nature. But when it came to Jesus as Lord, he's saying, I don't, I, I, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, I really don't have time for that. I'm not about that. I don't believe that. I don't believe Jesus is God in the flesh. Don't believe that. I'm, I'm not buying that. I, I can't have affections. Like, it's like we take our coffee, you know? Pick and choose the aspects of Jesus that we like, but say we're still good with Jesus, we're fine with Jesus. And the reality is we're, we're hitting this, this, this part in Luke and, and kind of going forward. Jesus is just going to keep on turning up the intensity and revealing who he is. And for many, this is going to be a hard pill to swallow. You, you like what you've seen thus far. You like miracle-working Jesus. You like bucking the, the religious establishment Jesus. But today, and, and, and really a little bit next week as well, we're going we're gonna to start seeing that Jesus is a judge. That he came to judge. And we sang this morning, we sang Jesus strong and kind. We love kind to Jesus. But what about strong Jesus? What about the judge Jesus? We can't separate him. So may the Lord give us eyes to see and to cherish and to worship this morning as we see Jesus just straight up all of his glory. May, may, may we not need to add anything to it. But may our hearts, even when we're, when, when we're when they're feeling dull this morning, may, may we be ignited by a fire for Jesus Christ. Because my main point this morning is this, is that the judgment of Christ should lead us to a solemn life of urgency. The judgment of Christ should lead us to a solemn life of urgency. So please, friends, turn in your Bible to, to Luke chapter 12. I'm going to begin in verse 49 this morning. Luke 12, 49. I came to cast fire on the earth. And would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you. But rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And, and when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? 
And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. May God bless the reading of his word. Point one this morning. We must understand that Jesus came to judge. We must understand that Jesus came to judge. We see this in, in verse 49, the first verse that I read this morning. And Jesus says that I came to cast fire on the earth. Now, in, in saying this, I believe that Jesus is saying that he came to judge. Now, why? Well, in Luke, um, the, the, the word fire, fire is often symbolized as, as judgment. It's often spoken of, spoken of in, in terms of judgment. Uh, if you want to go look at these texts, I, I won't read this morning for time's sake. There's a lot to cover. Uh, Luke 3, 8 through 9. Luke 3, 16 through 17. Luke 9, 51 through 55. Luke 17, 28 through 30, among others. The fire is spoken of uh, as, as synonymous with, with judgment. And Jesus says, I, I came to cast fire on the earth. I, I, I came to judge. Now, oftentimes we've we got to be careful here because when, when, we, when we think of judgment, we, we often take it to the final judgment, and that's it. That's, that's often what we, we think about when we think of Jesus as, as judge. So we need to understand what Jesus is talking about here. He's not just here talking about that he came the first time to bring about Revelation 19. He's not talking about the final judgment here. Now, but this, the type of judging that Jesus did is, connect, is certainly connected to his final judgment. But he's not talking about his final judgment here. The judgment in the Bible is talked about in, in a variety of, of ways. For instance, God brought judgment against Israel in the Old Testament. He did. He, would, he brought judgment against his people, but then he brought them back, didn't he? Many times. He would judge them and when the, uh, to lead, lead them to repentance, and then he would bring them back into right fellowship. Even God today, he, he judges the church in Corinth. I believe two weeks ago, Pat, Pat read uh, 1 Corinthians 11. He said, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks what? Judgment on himself. So there's many different types of judgment. It, 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 Paul isn't saying you're going to hell in that moment, but, but there's a type of judgment and this type of judgment here in, in this specific context that, that I believe Jesus is talking about, we see in, in verse 51, do you think I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, rather division. Then he goes and he talks about different types of division. I, be, I believe specifically here that the type of, of judgment that Jesus is talking about here is a, is a judgment of division. Division. Uh, a type that we've already heard Jesus talk about. Those that would follow him and those that would reject him. Those that would follow him, those that reject him. The wheat, the tares, the sheep, the goats. Followers of Christ Jesus and everybody else. I love what Norval Geldenheis wrote. He said, fire is the spiritual power exercised by the Lord through his word and spirit. 
to the undoing of those who reject him and to the refining of those who believe in him. It's, it's a type of fire that you, you think, you throw most things in the fire and what, what, what happens? Burns up. You, you put gold in the fire and what happens? It, ref, it refines it, doesn't it? And so there's a type of judgment that's happening here where those who, who love Christ, who desire Christ, who are God's people are being revealed. And everybody else, they're being revealed as well. For the frauds or the hypocrites, God-haters that they are as they in, in, encounter with Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus said he would come to do. In John chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. It's a type of judgment. Those who are, those who are meek, those who are humble, those who've, it's those Jesus gives eyes to see Christ for who he is and to worship him and to treasure him and to follow him and to obey him. And those who think that they see, the Pharisees, the religious rulers, the prideful, those who think they are God's people, but they are hypocrites and want nothing to do with the Lord. It is, it is those that the Lord just gives over to their sin and their hard-heartedness. For judgment I came into this world. It's a judgment of division. We, we, we think about this, this division. He, he brings a picture here of, 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 a, of a household. He talks, you know, three against two, two against three. He talks about a father being divided against his son, a son against his father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. We, we, we read these, and, and oftentimes in our culture, we, we just kind of gloss over these types of divisions because like, there's a lot of things in our 21st century world that can divide a family. I mean, we, oftentimes in our 21st century, we, we, choose, we choose to divide families for a variety of reasons. So, not even sinful, just practical. Like we, Rather than desiring to live close, we will like we'll go move all the way on the other side of the country, and we'll we'll kind of divide our family that way. In the in in, in this day and age, though, family was everything. I mean, you it was like all that you had. You, you lived together, you worked together, you served together. You like in saying you did life together, it wasn't just that you enjoyed having dinner together. It's like you meant like literally you survived together, right? And so there's something coming. Jesus is talking about. This type of judgment happening here. There's an event. There's, there, there's something happening here that's going to divide such intimate and, and important relationships such as mother, such as father, such as sons, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, all, all of these things. They're going to reject their life necessity, doing life together for something. And what is that? What event or what scenario is bringing about such judgment or such division well, here Jesus, he speaks of his baptism. He speaks of his baptism. It, it, is, it is at this baptism that, that, that judgment will occur. We said in, in, in verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with. How great is my distress until it is accomplished. And he wishes that, that they were, were already kindled. 
So he says, I want it kindled, but yet is in agony until it's accomplished. What is he referring to here? He is referring to his death on the cross. That is what Jesus is referring to. That is his baptism that he's to be baptized with, his, his death on the cross. We, we, we see Jesus' opinion here in Luke 12 about this, that he, that he desires it, he wishes it was already kindled. We also see that he has great distress until it was accomplished. I think, I think it speaks of this in, in Hebrews 12 too. Post-cross, post-resurrection, the writer of Hebrews writes that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's always sort of been Jesus' attitude towards the cross. Something of great joy, but something of great sorrow. Something of, of great joy, but something of great pain. I mean, the joy before Christ was the receiving of his bride. The receiving of, of those that the Father would give to him, that, that, that he would love and that he would shepherd, and that he would be with for all of eternity as his reward for his suffering. It's a glorious reward that Christ desires. It was joy. It was at that point that, that it would be realized that like th these are th this is my reward for my suffering, and, and these are those who will receive my wrath. But at the moment, it was also his agony that he knew that he would experience on the cross. The wrath that Christ bore for us was not simply philosophical in nature. The wrath that Christ bore on the cross on your behalf, if you are in Christ Jesus, was real and was painful and was dark. It was God's full wrath, full wrath. He didn't, he didn't hold back at all. But God poured, God the Father poured all of his wrath in totality on Christ Jesus for your gain and his glory. And that was something in that moment that while it brought great joy to Christ also says, how great is my distress. That's when we see him in the garden and we see him, him agonizing, Father, if it be your will, take the cup from me. But if not, not my will, but yours be done. And as he, as he prays and he, and he sweats, drops like blood. This is intense what Christ did for us, church. May we not lose sight of it. But it is at this cross, this baptism that Jesus wishes was already kindled, but it's distress. He has distress until it's accomplished. It is at this point at the cross of Christ that divides. It brings division. It brings judgment to those that would see Christ as he is and worship him and follow him and those that would see Christ and reject him. We, we see this in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 23 through, through 24. Paul writes, but we preach Christ crucified. You got two groups here. You got the stum uh, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You get two groups here. They, they gaze upon the cross. S some people think it's stupid. They think it's folly. It's dumb. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And, and you got another group that's like the power of God and the wisdom of God. Praise God for his grace and his mercy. 
There's nothing in between, friends. There's literally nothing in between. There's no middle road here. There's those that would trust in Christ and those that would reject Christ, period. And the cross does that. Now, we often think that, that Jesus came primarily to bring peace on earth. But Jesus explicitly says that he did not come to bring peace on earth. Instead, Jesus came to divide. Now, why might we think primarily that Jesus came to, to give peace? Why might we come to that conclusion? Well, because other spots in the Bible, in the Gospels, Jesus says that he came to give peace. <laughs> in John 14, 27, Jesus says, This peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So which is it? Did Jesus come to bring division? Or did Jesus come to bring peace? My friends, I would submit to you this morning that Jesus came to bring peace through division. Jesus didn't come to bring peace in totality to every single person on this earth. He didn't. He came to bring peace to God's elect. Amen. He would divide those. Those deserve for his wrath and, and, and those who would receive his peace and his joy and salvation. That's what Christ would do. That's his primary purpose. Peace through division. Now what is it, friends? If it is the cross that brings such division, we must ask, what is it about the cross that brings such division? Why the cross? Why his baptism? What is it about that that brings such division? I would submit to you this, it is at the cross of Christ where we see who Jesus is and why Jesus came the most clearly. We see Christ most clearly at the cross. We see why Christ came most clearly at the cross. We, we, know, we know this, if, if, you, if you study theology, you often talk about why Jesus came and, and kind of the roles that he performed when he was here on earth. Oftentimes from a theological perspective, we, we describe them in three ways. We say that, that Jesus came to, to fulfill the role of, of prophet, priest, and king. We talk about that a lot. And, and it, there's a lot of uh, Old Testament prophecies, prophecies that, that allude to the coming prophet, that allude to the coming priest, that, that allude to the, the coming king. And a lot of New Testament passages that, that show that Jesus fulfilled that prophet, priest, and king. These are three primary roles that Jesus fulfilled. And I would submit to you again this morning that Jesus, most clearly on the cross, at its climax, fulfilled the roles of prophet, priest, and king most clearly. And I would tell you that it is as Jesus is revealed as prophet, priest, and king most clearly, it is that that divides people. It is that that brings division. Let's talk about that this morning. First, first prophet. How did, how did, how did Jesus most clearly fulfill the role of, of prophet on the cross? 
Oftentimes, when we think about the role of prophet, priest, and king, we, we just think specifically from a priestly standpoint. That on the cross, Christ did a priestly work, and he did. We'll talk about that in a second. We don't, we don't connect prophet, the, the idea of Jesus' prophet, to the cross. Because we know, we know that a prophet is someone who speaks the words of God. We, we think of Isaiah, we think of Jeremiah, we think of John the Baptist. They say, thus said the Lord. And so the Lord delivers the message to them, and, and they speak that message. The, the, the work of prophet was primarily audible, wasn't it? But I love what John T. Rhodes, John T. Rhodes, a couple, a couple guys of us in the church were going through this book, um, uh, Man of Sorrows, King of Glory by John T. Rhodes. It's, it's one, of my, one of my favorite books that I've read in, in quite some time. And John T. Rhodes notes this. He says, the cross is Christ's pulpit. The cross is Christ's pulpit. From it, he preaches to us of the love and justice of God. The cross is Christ's pulpit. From it, he preaches to us the love and justice of God. But not just the love and justice of God, but also the holiness of God, the wrath of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the power of God is all being preached from the cross of Christ, friends. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, again, Paul speaks of the words of the cross, doesn't he? He speaks of the words of the cross. He speaks to them as God's wisdom and God's power to those who are being saved. He speaks of them as folly and foolishness and a stumbling block to those who are perishing. Those are the words of the cross. Well, also remember uh, a few months ago in Luke 9, 18 through 20, that Jesus told his disciples that they must, not they should. He doesn't encourage them. He says, you must take up your cross and follow Christ. You must. You want to be my disciple? You must. No other options. No other ways. To be my disciple, you must take up your cross and follow Christ. And, and likely, as Jesus had these, these blue-collar disciples, they probably had no clue, honestly, what he was talking about. Probably. But it is on the cross of Christ as Jesus laid down his life that this true great prophet of God demonstrated exactly what he was talking about. Right there on the cross. He literally bore our cross. It showed that as Christ's disciples, that you must die daily to self. Must. You must die daily to self. As Christ's disciples... What Jesus was preaching on the cross is this, that, that your life as my disciple will be marked by pain and suffering and persecution. How is this divisive? Well, a life of persecution and suffering and dying to self was the last thing that the Jews expected. The last thing. E even today, friends, it is the last thing that many self-professing Christians today expect. Die to self? Suffer? 
die to self in this marriage? Suffer through this situation? No, friend. They're going to pay for what they did. What do you mean I'm, uh, that, that, I, that I'm called to, to, to lay down my life and, and lay, lay down my preferences for the good and love? No way! We live in a very entitled mentality, an entitled culture, very narcissistic, self-exalting culture. And Christ on the cross is prophet. He, he takes that mindset and he shatters it. You want to be my disciple? You will take up your cross daily and you will follow me. Doesn't preach well in our culture, does it? But next, we, we see that Jesus, he most clearly fulfills the, the role of priest on, on, the, on the cross. And we know that a, a priest was someone who performed sacrifices in the temple for the forgiveness of sins as they looked forward to the coming Messiah. And, and again, this is typically the only role that we would attribute to Christ on the cross because it's the most obvious. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and, high, and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He was like us. He experienced every, every, every bit of temptation that we experienced. He was fully God, but yet he was also fully man. He experienced what it was to be a man because he was a man. He was 100% man, like Matt's a man and Pat's a man. I'm a man, like, like you're like, you know, you're human. 100%. He didn't deal with anything in this life that you and I didn't deal with. He was just faithful till the end and did not sin. Amen. And, and he did that to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What does propitiation mean? I know, I know we've talked about this before at church. You know, it means that, that God's wrath was fully satisfied. Fully. We get that. There is literally nothing else that needs to be done for your salvation, Christian, if you are in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. If you are in Christ, His work, His priestly work on the cross on your behalf is enough. It is sufficient. Your debt is paid in full now and for all of eternity. Christ the priest accomplished His Work. This means that at the cross, we are robbed of all glory. And instead, we are exposed for all of our guilt. All of it. The cross shows us that we are completely incapable of saving ourselves. Completely. We cannot at all. The cross shows us that we must rely completely on the righteousness of someone else to be saved and that someone else is priest Jesus, King Jesus on the cross. Now why is this so divisive? Because not only are, are, are we self-obsessed people that think we should never have to die to self, we are also a self-sufficient people overly committed to our own works. We love our own righteousness. We love our own ways that we look better than other people. This is divisive. Consider, was it not Jesus? Was it not Jesus as priest that sparked the Protestant Reformation? You had the Catholic Church that said, yeah, 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 we're all good at the cross and we're all good at what Jesus did, but you still got to make indulgences. 
You, you still got to go to confession. You got to do, do. You got to pay penance. You got to do and do and do and do. And yeah, the cross is great. We believe in the cross. But it's also cross plus, plus works. Such an attitude sparked the, the, the Protestant Reformation. But even today, many would say that it is not sufficient to trust in Christ fully alone for salvation. It's like, uh, you must also refrain from, from any alcohol. You must homeschool your children. You must align yourself politically the right way. You must consume the right diet, etc. So we could go on and on, Jesus plus something else. And you're like, no, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Oh yeah, but I treat everybody else if they don't do all these other external righteous things that they're not actually part of the club. Just practically speaking. And is it the cross? We have no option for that. Because our righteousness is based upon the work of one man alone, Jesus the priest. We are only saved by his work. Finally, is it the cross of Christ where we see Jesus as king? Like, Jesus is king on the cross. Are you kidding me? It was never at a point where Jesus was lower. It was never at a point where we see Jesus more humbled and, and, and broken. Jesus is king. Because we know that a king is someone with complete authority within a given domain. And most often throughout history, we see a king would gain, he would gain power or territory by conquering another kingdom or a local power. But see, that's what we think. Someone with victory. Oh, but friends, it is on the cross that we find Christ once and for all defeating sin. Defeating death once and for all. Colossians 2, 14 through 15 says this, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Amen. Christ on the cross was ruling and reigning as king. He was conquering sin. He was conquering death and winning salvation for us. Yes, it was a moment of great sorrow. Yes, it was a moment of great humility. Oh, but friends, let us see that it was a moment of great victory for Christ Jesus. And it is because of his work on the cross that we can read, friends, in Hebrews 1, 3, this. After making purifications for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus, because, because of what he did on the cross, he sat on his throne. Or in Hebrews 2, 9, that Jesus, he is crowned with glory and honor. Why? Why? Because of his suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Friends, Jesus is king. And quite frankly, of prophet, of priest, and king, there is nothing more divisive than the fact that Jesus is king. Nothing. There's nothing more divisive. People don't mind the Jesus that came to pay the penalty for their sin sometimes, although they do when you really poke them. People don't, don't mind prophet Jesus coming being the word and speaking words of God. They don't, they don't mind his teaching, oftentimes. Oh, but Jesus is authoritative king. All authority in heaven and on earth, king. 
Jesus that, that, that's, that's, that looks at every square inch of this universe and says, mine, including you. That type of king. The, the type of king that comes to rule in your life. The, the, the type of king that, that says, be holy for I am holy. The type of king that calls you under, under the submission of his word. Oh, now that's offensive. I mean, look in our culture, friends. Look in our culture and see a culture that says you can have a, a, a man who decides to start cross-dressing as, and, and, and acting as, a, as if he's a woman. He calls himself a woman and, and that, that we want you to accept that. And we're going to punish you if you don't. Complete violation of King Jesus' words in his, in his book. A country that calls us to, to, to embrace homosexuality as if it's normal, as if it, as, and, and even Christians at times who will sit here and say that that, that that is okay with God. Christ, Christ, even Christians, self-professing Christians that would... It's easy. It's easy to like the bash the 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 transgender and the homosexual. What about Christians who who decide to 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 engage in, in in pornography, premarital sex, living together? And I know, yes, this even happens in the church. Complete disregard for King Jesus. Complete disregard for holiness. Oh no, we're comfortable in our pride. We're comfortable in our man-made religion. We're comfortable with our sin. It's on the cross where we find that Jesus is king. And when we call people to repent and to follow Christ and to submit to Christ, to repent of their sins and trust in him alone, oh friends, that's divisive. Nothing divides more than that. Nothing at all. But friends, the fact that Jesus told us that he came to divide should not shock us. Shouldn't. I mean, I even know in this room, I mean, I, I, as I was thinking about the past few weeks of, of this sermon, I just think in our, in our church of families and friends that have been broken and shattered because of these realities. I mean deep division because of these realities. Not just one family. I mean multiple friends and multiple families within this church. I know you've experienced this. You've experienced the division of the gospel. You've, you've experienced the division that King Jesus brings. You've experienced the division that priest Jesus brings. You've experienced the division that prophet Jesus brings. You've experienced it. You've seen the pain. You've felt it. Even maybe right now, you've felt the pain. The division should not shock us, friends. Rather, we can trust that Christ told us that this would happen. Christ told us this would happen. Our sovereign Lord told us that this would happen. We need not be surprised when it happens with friends and family and loved ones or even in this church. We need not be surprised. But rather, friends, we should understand this, that our Savior understands rejection. On the cross, he was rejected by all those who, who, who he thought loved him dearly. Jesus experienced such rejection. Jesus experienced with his closest people in his life rejection. 
And yet he still bore their sin. He was faithful. That is our Savior. You're, you're sitting here this morning and, 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 and you're heartbroken over your child. You're heartbroken over your family. You're heartbroken over your friend. Dear friends, understand this. It is not outside of the sovereignty of God. And know this, friends, that our Savior understands it. And he's here to offer you compassion and strength and joy in the moment. Point two. And these points are not as long, don't worry. We must be diligently aware of the time. We must be diligently aware of the time. Jesus says to the crowd, he says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you can say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. But you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Now, I know meteorologists often get a bad rap, don't they? But man, I'll, I won't forget, that's probably about a month ago. It was when the, the warm air kind of came in right before the other cold front came in. They were talking about all week there was going to be some tornadoes at night, and, and some, some, some areas had some tornadoes. And, and, and I, I saw on my weather, my weather Channel app on my phone, and I, and I saw um, Glenn Burns. I follow Glenn Burns on Facebook, and he always gives us weather updates. He's usually pretty good. I won't forget, like, they were saying, 11 o'clock that Saturday night, these storms are coming. 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock. My wife and I are laying in bed. Man, that lightning bolt, that thunder, the light. I mean, 11 o'clock on the dot, my man, it starts coming down. I mean, it's amazing, like down, down to a science. Like they weren't, they weren't looking at like this, you know, oh, look, there's, there's clouds over, over, over Lake Ackworth. I, I better go and put my, put my, you know, dog inside. We're talking literally like weeks out. These guys are knowing to the, to the minute of when the storm is going to hit. It's amazing. And, and, and they would call themselves scientists. And it's amazing how, even in our culture, all of these scientists, they're so brilliant to make all these observations about our world. But yet, by and large, in the scientific community, how much they reject God. How much they, they would even say that as smart as they are, that they would look at this whole world and say that, that, that it, even violating scientific law, that it came from nothing? There's literally nothing more preposterous in, 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 in violation of science. And Jesus was speaking to a crowd who was really, really, really great at observing things. Specifically, they knew it once when it was about to rain. They knew the signs of scorching heat. In other words, Jesus is pointing out this. Your senses are working just fine. Your intellect is just fine. There's absolutely no problem with your eyes. There's no problem with your ears. There's, there's, there's no problem with your ability to, to understand. I see dark clouds. Rain is coming. I know scorching heat's coming. There's nothing wrong with their intellect, their senses. Yet for all these people, who were primarily Jewish. For all of these religious leaders who knew the Old Testament like the back of their hands. For all of these people who could clearly reason. 
Jesus identifies that they couldn't correctly interpret the present time. The time when all of the scripture pointed to. The time when the Messiah would come. As God the Son stands in their midst, they couldn't interpret it. I mean, you think that Jesus fulfilled prophecy, not just one? I mean, just a handful, like, even just a handful that, he, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, check. Born of a virgin, check. Come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, check. Spend a season in Egypt, check. That there would be a messenger who would prepare the way of the Messiah, check. John the Baptist, who drew crowds, check. That he would heal the lame, heal the deaf, heal the blind, cast out demons, would be a prophet like Moses, check, 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 and check. And I could go on for another 20, 30 minutes, folks. That Jesus fulfilled prophecy after prophecy. Like, it was so obvious that Jesus was the Messiah. It was so obvious that he was coming in this right time that Jesus was Messiah. Here's the thing. The problem wasn't that they couldn't see it. The problem was they couldn't hear it. The problem was they couldn't put two and two together. The problem wasn't that, that the text was cryptic. The problem, as Jesus points out, is sin. And the problem that Jesus points out is their hypocrisy. Oh, dear friends, many Jews acted as if they were eagerly anticipating the coming, the, the coming of the Messiah, the, specifically the religious leaders. They acted like they were so looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, but their actions showed otherwise they were hypocrites. They were not truly waiting for the time. They did not truly desire holiness. They did not have eyes to see. They did not see the times. You're thinking, what does this have to do with me? Because I'm a Christian, I, I've seen, I trust in Christ, and so, so what principles can we draw from this? Because we know that Christ lived, Christ died, and Christ rose again. We know that. We weren't, we weren't in this time. Well, well, I would say, friends, that, that like this group, it's often amazing how poor we can be at discerning the times. For instance... We've already identified that, that, that Christ is king. In Matthew 28, Christ told his disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ Jesus. All of it. And in light of that authority, he called his disciples to go and make disciples. That's what he called his disciples to do. That your life from now on will be about making disciples. Acts chapter 1, same thing. Go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and where? To the ends of the earth. So what do they do? They go and they preach the gospel to the Jews. Thousands are saved in one sermon. One. Early churches built, they expand. There was, they, they took God's command, Jesus' command, seriously. And that is our call today, friends. That is our call as we discern the times and we wait for Christ Jesus to come, as we wait for King Jesus to return, Christ right now is building his church. And that is not a call for us to sit on our butts and do nothing. It is a, it is a call for us 
to make disciples, to obey King Jesus. May we, may, may, may we interpret the time well, church. May we, may, may we, not, may, may we be not like these, like these individuals here who, who, who misinterpret the time. Let's interpret our time correctly that we will give an account for. Submit to Christ Jesus and make disciples, friends. Finally, finally this. An awareness of the times should produce a sense of urgency in us. An awareness of the times should produce a sense of urgency in us. And Jesus says, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Friends, instead of eating, drinking, and being merry, hopping on social media, living your best life now, living for your 401k, your vacation, we should understand that Christ's coming and final judgment is very very, very near. Multiple times, we, we always ask, do you think we're living in the end times? Well, the Bible tells us we're living in the end times. We don't have to guess about that. We don't have to guess. His coming and final judgment is so very near. And right now, we have this period, this period where God has offered us such grace. Just such grace. If you're not in Christ Jesus this morning, dear friends, you, you must understand the wrath of God that awaits you for all of eternity. And you must understand up until this point, just the grace that God has given you, the, the patience that God has given you, the time that God has given you, and he's given it to you. To repent. And to trust in Christ. Not to live for yourself, not to live for sin, not to live for sex or drugs or, or anything else. It didn't give you time so that maybe one day you can think, when I'm old and grown and I have kids, I can finally start to care about Righteousness. Children, teenagers, adults, friends, if you're not in Christ Jesus, what Jesus says here, he gives us this picture like, you've got this, you've got this accuser before you. Oh, and dear friends, and you really did something wrong to this accuser, and you're headed to the judge. And when you get there, that accuser is going to pull you before the judge, and you're you, like you're not going to have anything to say. You're guilty, and he's going to throw you in prison, and you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. And so, in wisdom, before you get to that judgment, friend, settle with your accuser now. Because when you get before the judge, you will lose. You will lose. 
Jesus is calling his people today, his Christ is revealing himself as Messiah, to trust in him today. Trust him. Put your faith in Christ alone for salvation. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ today. When you die, you will go to hell if you do not. When Christ returns and judges finally, if you do not repent and trust in Christ, you will go to hell forever and ever and ever because your sin against a holy God, friend, will never, ever, 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 ever be repaid. Ever. And I know most of you are in Christ Jesus. You will not be handed over to judgment. Amen. You will experience the joy and presence and peace of Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Amen. We do not stand ready to receive the wrath of God. We can find great comfort in that. We can find great joy in that. What, what principle can we glean from this? I would just say, I would say this. We do await something. We will give an account for our lives. We will. We're told that we will give an account for every word that we speak. Every word. I don't know what that looks like. I don't. I just know what the scripture tells us. And our account is not going to be what sends us to heaven or hell. Christ's death on the cross and our trust in him. We will be with him forever. Again, we, we do not fear the final judgment of God. However, we will give an account for our decisions. We will give an account for our words. We will give an account for how we spend our time. And so in light of the fact that Jesus is judge, in light of the fact that we should be aware of the times, my prayer for us, church, is that these principles, they would produce a sense of urgency in us to share the gospel. Very simply. To make disciples. To take the pursuit of holiness very seriously. To pursue seeing Christ straight up as he is, no cream, no sugar, through his word, very, very diligently. That, that we would discern the times rightly that, that his plan for your life is to be a part of a local church. And you would take that very seriously. And I'm not just talking about being here, although this is great. But that you would be doing life with each other on Wednesday nights as we spur one another on towards righteousness. The women's Bible study, the men's Bible study, the Thursday night Bible study. There's so many opportunities to come be with the people of God, but, but not just Bible studies, but we'd also get together for dinner and encourage one another over the table. We'd break bread. And not talk about flippant things and not talk about sports. Sports are final of sports. Going to watch some football today. But they, we would be the people that, that, that are, again, we have an awareness of the time. We would be so aware that, that God's plan for his church is to go and make disciples. And that our conversations would center around that because we're discerning the times correctly. That'd be my prayer for us this morning. That we would gather those principles from this. Friends, it should be our, our joy. Our joy to produce disciples. What a joy that Christ invites us as his people to be a part of his mission. Can we get, a, can we get a, an amazing just glimpse of that, image of that?
that the Lord is using us. May we get excited about that community Bible church. Amen.